This morning we'll be in some selected texts. I'll be starting with Psalm chapter 2, but we'll be in many different texts. Let me pray, and then we'll get into God's Word. Lord, it is a joy to worship you through music and to worship you through music as a assembly, as a body of Christ. Lord, we give you praise for truly we worship a living God, not a dead, lifeless rock. And we praise you because you were delivered up for our transgressions and rose again because of our justification. That you would do that for us, Lord, we give you praise and glory because you are worthy. And now we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say for us this morning in your word, Lord. May your namesake be exalted and we give you praise. Amen. We do commonly say, at least in our tradition, and you don't have to repeat it, you can if you wish, we say, he is risen, and then the pastor of the congregation will say, he is risen indeed. And that's Beautiful, and I, I love saying that. But why do we say that? Why do we do that? Because it's true. <laughs> but why does it matter? Does it really matter? Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> Amen. When I was growing up in Florida... There were times, living in central Florida, Orlando, we early in the morning would go to the East Coast and have a sunrise service on the beach. Thousands of us at Daytona Beach or Cocoa Beach. And then we'd go to our big church, had about 10,000 people, and we would meet there and have a resurrection, grand time worshiping our Lord. And then... After church, my family and I, we would race to the west coast of Florida and watch the sunset. So you could do that all in one day in Florida. It was a great time. But I think in, in all of that, there were so many arguments with dad and mom and, and brothers and I that we could lose the, the truth of what the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus was, was all about. And I wonder if sometimes we can get so caught up maybe in this being a special day, which it is, that we can lose, why does it really matter that Jesus rose again? Does it really, really matter? Yes, it does. Then the second question is, does it matter to you? Does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? And does it matter to you? And if it does matter to you, if it matters to me, then there should be a difference in how we think and how we live. If Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again, if that is really, really true, and not some kind of fantasy fairy tale, then that should make all the difference in our lives. So this morning, I just want us to look at the text, the scripture, 
and give you four reasons why Christ's resurrection should really matter to you, why it should matter to me. He is risen, he's risen indeed, but does it really matter? Yes. But does it matter to you? Maybe you're 11 years old, maybe you're 9 years old, maybe you're 7 and you can understand what I'm saying. Maybe you're 77. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, has it and is it really making a difference in your life? That's the question that we need to ask and answer. So the first reason why it does matter and it should matter to you is this. Your Savior's uniqueness is validated by His resurrection. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His resurrection authenticates who He truly, truly is. Look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is primarily about Jesus as King. That's why verse 6 says in Psalm 2, but as for me, I have installed my king, this is Yahweh, the Lord God talking, upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then verse 8 and 9 talks about Christ ruling the whole earth. And then verse 10 talks about the kings and the rulers of the earth worshiping him. And verse 11 says, kiss the Lord, kiss Yahweh with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. It's a beautiful psalm. This is even the psalm that says in verse 4, he who sits in the heaven laughs and scoffs at them. Them as these evil people that are disobeying God and trying to get God's bounds and cords and his rules, trying to smash them and making them nothing. The Lord laughs at them. But right in the middle of this, you have verse 7, which says, it sounds almost like John 1 or John 3.16, you are my son, today I have begotten you. What is this referring to? You are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, if we were to go to the book of Acts, we can see that this passage is quoted a couple of times. Psalm 2, verse 7. First, look with me at Acts chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 32, and we might be surprised as to what it's exactly referring to, at least here in Acts, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start here. You can even look at verse 31, and Brett read this this morning. He quotes Psalm 16. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he has neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are witnesses. And then you can see even verse 34 for it's not David who was sent into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus 
whom you have crucified. But the whole context is that this Jesus is now alive. And he's been raised up. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then verse 34 talks about him being Yahweh. Now, this is what Peter says, but if we go forward in the book of Acts, we'll see this explicit reference back to Psalm 2. Acts 13. Now, Paul is also preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verse 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And then he quotes Psalm 16 again, verse 35. You will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Verse 37, but whom God raised did not undergo decay. So what I'm saying is, What scripture says in the New Testament is that Paul and Peter, Peter points out to Psalm 110 and Psalm 16. Paul points to Psalm 16, but explicitly to Psalm 2 and even says, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. But the context is not about the incarnation, but it's about the resurrection, You're my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 34, after the fact that he raised him up from the dead. Certainly, uh, John 3.16 and John 1 are clear. It seems to be clear that they're talking about that God has a unique son, and this son has been incarnated into flesh. But there's also a sense in which the resurrection is in some way involving this statement, today to day I've begotten my only unique son. Now even Romans talks about this. That is, it puts together the idea of resurrection with a type of sonship. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 1.4. Again, look at verse 4. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. I believe Romans 1.4 answers this question is, how does the resurrection involve or relate to this statement today, today I have begotten you. Romans 1.4 is basically teaching that the resurrection was a a loud shout, a, a, a megaphone saying that this Yeshua, this Jesus, this is the Messiah and truly is God the Son and the resurrection proves it because of his powerful Resurrection conquering sin and death and hell and Satan and even authenticating his holy life. Note it says in Romans 1 4, 
who was declared the Son of God with power. And even after that, it says, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look at verse 4 and it says, by uh, by power, with power, and then at the end, according to the Spirit of holiness, and the New Testament Greek, all of this comes before who was declared the Son of God with power. That is, with power and Spirit of holiness, and the New Testament is being emphasized. He was declared the Son of God by the resurrection with power. And by the spirit of holiness is what the text is emphasizing. That is, the resurrection is announcing, declaring as loud as, as possible, as brilliantly as possible, that truly Jesus was God the Son. Unique, utterly unique out of all humanity that ever lived. Jesus was 100% human, but also 100% God. And the resurrection is a declaration of this. This is what these texts are doing. And even here, when it talks about power, you might remember back to the book of Ephesians. One of the main themes of Ephesians is, since Christ powerfully rose from the dead, conquering all the different powers, then you and Christ have that power. That all other powers and lords and kingdoms and authorities in the universe by his life and death, but especially by his resurrection, have been put under his feet. So then, Yeshua, Jesus, the resurrection, is declaring to the whole world, this is truly God the Son, the second member of the triune God. That's why it matters, is that this resurrection is declaring that Jesus is truly divine. And further, when it says spirit of holiness, this is basically clarifying that it wasn't some kind of pagan, religious, quasi-spiritualized, evil resurrection where they had some type of seance and then this happened. Rather, it was the Holy Spirit of God that energized this resurrection. Uh, Romans 8, verse 11, says, But it's the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So then what we're saying is that Jesus arose from the dead, but his resurrection was unlike any other resurrection ever in the Bible, proving that he was truly God in the flesh, and that his mission was successful the resurrection authenticated it. It was authenticated by, by power and by the Spirit of God. Now, the, the question can be, yes, Tom, but weren't there other resurrections? How come Jesus, how come his resurrection is so different? Well, there, there's many reasons, but we can say this for sure. For example, Lazarus died. Jesus resurrected him. Did Lazarus go straight to heaven or did he die again? He died again. Is there anybody that the prophets or Jesus resurrected from the dead, what happened to them? Did they ascend to heaven after their resurrection? No, they, they eventually died again. But Jesus died once. Once and for all. Never to taste death 
death ever, ever again. Because he conquered death and hell and sin. And so this is why the resurrection is declaring, this is the Holy One of God. This is God the Son. Now, consider your course of action. When we think about Jesus, the, the resurrection declares that he's Lord because he's king over death. He's king over the whole universe and all that's in the universe. He's king. He's Lord. That's why you have in Psalm 2, it says in verse 12, what? Kiss the son. I used to want that tattooed on my arm in Hebrew, but I've, I've never done it. Kiss the son. That's just a, a powerful statement. And Psalm 2 involves a resurrection. Theologically, when, when God says, today, today I have begotten thee, the New Testament says the resurrection is declaring that verse, that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Then there's an invitation in Psalm 2.12, show loving submission to the Messiah as Lord. That's what Psalm 2.12 is saying. It's interesting because in the book of Romans that we were just in, it talks about the Son of God with power. Well, Romans 10, verse 9, Romans 1, 4, talks about being declared the Son of God with power through the resurrection. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we come to Jesus for salvation, we come to him and submit to his lordship. This is what Romans 10.9 is saying. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone, Christ alone. But there is this, you are Lord, you are my king. And death cannot hold you down. I trust you, Lord, for my salvation. This is what the Bible is teaching. But second, even as believers, we want to be careful to continue to follow Christ as he is our Lord. This is what the resurrection, again, is declaring. I'm not putting this down. I'm not saying it's wrong. But sometimes people wear a gold necklace, and on the gold necklace is a cross. That's not wrong. But how many times have we seen somebody wearing a gold necklace or a silver necklace with an empty tomb on it? Not many times. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but there is this message that, that the cross declares that Paul says he glorifies in Galatians 6, but there's also a message of the resurrection, and that is it's the power of God in Christ overcoming all evil and declaring that truly he is Lord and God and he's not a dead savior. He's the living and soon returning king. And so when we receive Jesus, we receive him as Lord. And Colossians 2 verse 6 says, as you have received Jesus as Lord, continue on and walk in him. And then later on, it will even apply his resurrection to our lives, which we'll look at in a few moments. But what I am saying is that when this 
man whose father was a carpenter, this man that didn't have any place to lay his head, this man that was crucified, that said that he is, I am, this man that spoke in all these parables and was so gracious and kind to all the children, this man that was betrayed by Judas and that his disciples ran from him in fear, this man rose from the dead and never died again. Meaning and declaring, he is your king. Whether you bow to him or not, he is your king. Every person that's ever lived has a king. And that king's name is Yeshua. It's the Lord King Jesus Christ. As believers then, we along with James Dinning say, this is a paraphrase of what he said, there is not a square inch of our lives where Jesus does not say, mine. Mine. That's mine. That's my area. And so every life, every area of our life, as we grow in Christ, we say, Lord, I've kept this area from you. You know what? It's yours. This area, it's yours. You're Lord and King of everything. I think at times, all of us continue to hang on to certain pocket areas of sin, and we can say, well, that's my daddy issue. You know, that's my mommy issue. My mom and dad were bad, and they had this temper, or they had this, and so as a result, I, I struggle with this, or, you know, it, it's my DNA. You know, I, I have DNA issues. I, I really struggle with this sin because it's genetics. You know, the, the world I, I live in, I have this temptation, and, and it's so powerful. And you know what? Stop, stop the excuses. Because Jesus is, is who? He's Lord. He, he's King. And if I have sin in my life... What does he say? Repent. Stop doing it. Go and sin no more. Cut it out. Because he's Lord. So the resurrection doesn't matter. Yes. How does it matter? It declares that he is God the Son, meaning that he is the priest, the prophet, and the king. And he is Lord. So if you don't know Christ, repent today and trust Jesus. If you do know Christ then continue to give him more and more of your life, saying, yes, Lord, even this area of my life is yours. Yes, Lord. There's also a second reason. A second reason that the resurrection of Christ matters. And if you're in Romans, stay there, but look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Looking at verse 22, and Romans chapter 4 is all about justification, about the believer's right standing with God. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then verse 22 of Romans 4, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake alone was it credited to him, sorry, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This is incredible truth that we briefly looked at last Sunday. But the second reason is this. Your right standing with God is dependent upon the resurrection. Why does the resurrection matter? Because... Every single believer in a true sense 
Not, not in every single sense, but in a true sense, every single believer has a perfect relationship with God. Not in every sense, but in a true sense, every believer has a 100% perfect relationship with God. So that when you die, you're on your deathbed, believer. There should not be a... <laughs> Have I confessed every single sin I could ever think of? What's going to happen to me? But rather, if you've trusted Jesus, whose righteousness do you have? Whose perfect obedience do you have? If, if, we got, if I got to heaven because I confessed every single sin I could ever, ever think of, if that was the way you got to heaven, I wouldn't go to heaven. Nobody would go to heaven. Because none of us here deals with our sin perfectly. Not one of us. But rather, the biblical truth is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates, it secures, it finalizes, as it were, that perfect righteousness of Jesus that's accredited to our account. We just sang, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. That's true. Rising he justified freely forever because it's in the Bible. Because it's biblical and it's right here in this text. He died on the cross because of our rebellion. He was executed. That's what Romans 4.25 says, God, you can look at Acts 4, Acts 2. You can look at Acts 4, Acts 2. God, God in his sovereignty, through Pontius Pilate and Herod, gave Jesus up to be crucified because of our rebellion. But parallel to that is he was raised up from the dead because of our justification. What does this mean? How do we take this? Because Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work is done. The substitutionary work of Christ on the cross paid the price of all sins for all who would ever trust in him. Together with that, additionally, the resurrection of Jesus Christ says it's a stamp of God the Father's approval that Jesus' perfect life, his full perfect atonement, it's validated. It's perfect. It's approved. It's accepted. That is, my and your right standing with God is not the cross plus most of my life, I live a pretty good life as a Christian. That's not how I'm justified. You and I are justified justified freely and forever by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not... I Because I, there is a teaching, there has been a teaching where, yes, you're saved by, by grace, by faith, and, and you're justified by God. But there is also, this is what some have taught, there's a final justification. As a Christian, if you live good enough as a Christian, then you'll get to heaven. That's false doctrine. 
That's wrong doctrine. That's not what the Bible teaches. Justification is once and for all, and it includes not just the perfect life of Jesus, not just his perfect atonement, but God is saying with the resurrection of God the Son, God the Father is saying, approved. That is authenticated, validated, finally and forever. It's saying that what Christ achieved was settled all the accounts of God, finally and forever. That's why Christ, where is Jesus Christ now? He's sitting at the right hand of, of God the Father on high. This is the idea of the resurrection and justification. His work justifies. So then, further, again, we would say then our course of action that if you've not yet been saved, if you've not yet been able to say to others and to God and to yourself, I, I, I have been justified, and his resurrection secures that. If his life didn't and his death didn't, they do, but if they did not, then you also have his resurrection. There's no way that anybody can take away Christ's perfect righteousness from you. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. My son and I, just yesterday, were talking about if somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, could they ever go to hell? This was my son's question. And the answer is a very good question. The answer to that is no, because we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by the work of Christ through faith. Look at it, Romans 4, 5, and it's kind of scandalous. Say this to a, a Roman Catholic. Say this to a Mormon. Say this to a Hindu or a Muslim. Say this to a, a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian that believes you're saved by good works. Look at verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes that God justifies who? Say it to somebody at work. Say, say it to one of your neighbors. I had a, a friend of mine that said to me recently, you know, Tom, I think you're going to heaven and the different policemen that, that also have died and the different American troops that have died, I think they're all going to heaven because they're so good. I said, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for the police. My own brother was a policeman and he died in the line of duty some years ago. I'm, I'm very thankful for them and, and for all the army. But none of them, especially me, is good enough to get to heaven. Do you know that the Bible doesn't say God justifies the godly? God justifies the ungodly. Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the unrighteous. So what I am saying is that to be saved, to have a right standing with God, you can never be ever good enough. You can't live a perfect life. You can't die for anybody's sin. And you certainly can't rise again from the dead unless Jesus Christ does that for you. And so we trust him alone to be saved. Now, what is interesting, as we consider this second point, and we really consider the course of action to take, go back to Romans 4.25. After Romans 4.25, what does it talk about? Well, we have Romans 5. It talks about peace. 
you notice Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised again because of our justification. And then right after that, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look at verse 3. This this peace is not the idea of every day is going to be peachy and creamy and nice and everybody is going to love us and, and we're going to have perfect health. But look at verse 3. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. That is what I'm seeking to point out is right after it says, he was raised because of our justification. Then it says we have peace with God through Christ. And then right after that it says we exult even in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation can only, by God's grace, make us more and more like Jesus. That is, during the worst of times, we can have a Christian peace, a a joy. Though there's sorrow, there is this real taste of joy that God's in control and that God has favor on me and that God loves me, not because I'm good enough, but because Christ was good enough. And so that gives me comfort even during the worst of times. And the very worst thing that the world maybe could think that could happen to me would be that I, I would die. But for me, as a believer, is it is it true that that's the best thing that could ever happen to me? It is. Because I get to be with Jesus, my Savior. And I have, Romans 5, 1, peace with him. Not because I'm such a good person, but I have peace because God, by, by faith, by Christ, by through faith, I've been justified. I have a right standing with God. I have God's favor in my life, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus was good enough. And so I have peace. So every day, I am, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And it gives us sustaining joy. This is why it matters. That Jesus rose from the dead. If there was no resurrection, there is no gospel. Every time you share the gospel, you have to seek to share the resurrection. The good news isn't that Jesus is Lord. We love that, we trust that, we exult in that. But that's not the good news. The good news is that the Lord and the King of the universe died on the cross and rose again. To give you his own righteousness. That's the good news. There's a third reason why it matters. That is the resurrection of Christ. And that is your, your hope it is cemented and anchored by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I've alluded to this just a moment ago. But we have a great hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ arose, the Bible teaches that we also will arise. If you just take a moment to look at your hands, especially those of you that are older, I I look at my hands now and I'm like, what on earth? I look at my hands and I'm starting to think, I used to look at my dad's hands and go, what are those brown spots on his hands? What are his veins that are starting to come out? It's kind of gross. 
I used to look at my dad's hands. Look at all the wrinkles. He's got like, my dad had like these little diamond things in his skin. It's like, what in the world? I look at my hands now and I see the same thing. What's going on? Well, it's called age. It's called old age. It's called living in a finite, fallen body of flesh. It's called the Hebrew word hevel, uh, transitory, book of Ecclesiastes, like a mist. But there is great hope that this is not my final state. Believer, that's not your final state. There is a better you that God has promised that gives us great hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18 talks about this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. These believers in Thessalonians were afraid that either they missed the resurrection or the ones that already died might miss the resurrection. And so Paul is dealing with this issue. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself we descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that have already died and the thousands of years before our time now, they will get these glorified physical bodies. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord and the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I miss my mom. I love my mom. She used to get down on herself because of the infirmity that she had in her own skin. But one day, she's going to have a glorious body. And I'm going to be with her, and you're going to be with her. Yeah, but I'm not my mom. You've met my mother-in-law, Ruth, who's a godly woman. One day, you're going to meet my mom. She's a great mom, too. And she's going to be glorified in a resurrected body. And that gives me hope for her and for me. And verse 18 says, comfort one another with these words. That is, we need to preach to one to one another that death is not the... The final finale, I can remember when we buried my mom's body that by accident, my dad and my uncles buried my mom's body in the wrong grave site. And they were just mortified. And I was basically almost laughing. I had to not laugh because it was very serious for them. But I knew, one, my mother was where? She's very much alive and she's of Jesus. I told them that. I don't think they believe me. I said, she's really alive. She's of Jesus. She's not too concerned about her body right now. And then two, she's going to get a body that is glorious. She, she doesn't care about that, those bones right there. She's with the Lord. This is a, a, a great hope that we have. Well, what's going to be the nature of this body? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us about this resurrected body that Paul was talking about in Thessalonians to the Corinthians, to the, the saints and Corinth. 
Sometimes in the world and even the church, we can say, you know, St. Peter, St. Paul. I like to hear somebody say the St. Corinthians. First Corinthians 1 says they were saints. The St. Corinthians. He's writing to the saints in Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he's talking about the resurrection of Christ. But then he transitions into our resurrected bodies. And he says this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now talking about our future bodies. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It's never going to decay. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That, that doesn't mean that you're going to be like a ghost, but it means that your, your body is not going to be made out of all the stuff that we're made out of now, which is very finite, but something that is suited for a, an eternal life of glory. That's the idea. You can look at verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as a reminder, I've mentioned it, we've talked about it, we've preached through it. Philippians chapter 3 says, who transformed the body of our humble state. I have a humble state of a body, and every single person has a humble state of their body. You can work out and be as healthy as you possibly can. If Christ doesn't come back, what's going to happen? You're going to get old, break down, and die. All of us. But one day, verse 21 says that we're going to be given a body that's going to be in conformity to the body of his, what? His glory. That is, my humble body one day will be transformed so that I will have a glorious body like the glorious body of Christ. Is that true? Is it true? The Bible says so, then I believe it. I believe it. I believe one day I will have a glorious, resurrected body and live forever in a world of perfect love, worshiping, serving, and fellowshipping with the Lord and fellowshipping with you. And there will no longer be any sin and we'll have perfect harmony forever and forever and ever with no sin, no death, no decay, no evil. And so we give glory to God for that. And then 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, because of that, because Christ rose again and you've trusted Jesus, he's going to give you a body like his own. And then, therefore, verse 58 is our duty. Verse 58 is our course of action. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Press forward. Press forward. As we've said, Right now, maybe we're like in a little bubble. Maybe right now we're in the eye of the storm. Seems a little bit calm right now. Lots around the corner. Who knows? Could get better, could get worse. But we have this from the Lord. He rose from the dead. 
We're going to arise from the dead. Therefore, be immovable and press forward. You seek to know Jesus and help others to know and to follow Jesus. That's our mission, to give God glory, to know him, and to help others to know him. That's, that's what we do. And we can do that because we know that even though our bodies are disposable, we're going to get a return. And it's going to be a glorious return. And that gives us great hope. There is a fourth reason, and we'll end with this reason, why the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. It matters because the resurrection basically proves he's God. It matters because the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees and secures our own right standing with God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters because it gives us hope that our present body isn't it. When we die, that's not the end of the story. It's the beginning. Truly. Verse 4. Sorry, uh, reason number 4. Your victory over sin is empowered by Christ's resurrection. Your victory over sin is empowered by Christ's resurrection. And there's many places we could look, and maybe we won't look at all these verses, but Romans 6, fantastic chapter that we should all know and read and study. Verse 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now then, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, remember those words, and let me remind you of Ephesians 2, very briefly, says that we were dead, but then God made us alive together in Christ. And then verse 6 says, and we were raised up with him. And we were raised up with him. And now listen to the words of Paul in a letter to the believers in Colossae. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. (coughs) When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also would be revealed with him in glory. Note chapter 3, verse 1. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep your mind there at the right hand, where Christ is at, right at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind there, for you've died. But now this life that you have, it's hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is your life. And then verse 5 is a call to action. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. You have the truth that if you've trusted Jesus, then you have the power of his resurrection in your life to overcome any sin. That's what Colossians 2.20 to 3.5 is saying. Paul says the same thing, but a little bit differently. In Romans 6, 8 through 11, he's saying that that resurrection power Where Christ died, he rose again. And so he has a new kind of life. And he's not relating to sin and the world and death and Satan and hell. And everything's changed for Christ since he rose again from the dead. Therefore, verse 12 says, Therefore, 
Stop letting sin rule in your body. Say no to sin. So what Romans 6 is saying and Colossians is saying is that when you trust Jesus, it's not something which is just outside of yourself. Justification is outside of ourself. But there is something internally that God does. You were dead. Now you are what? Alive. Well, what does that mean that you're alive? He regenerated you. You were separated from God. Now you have a relationship with God, not just by justification, but you have the spirit of God and he's given you a new dynamic of power in your life as a Christian where there is not one sin. Christian, there's not one sin that you can honestly say, I couldn't help myself. I had to do it. You could have Satan and a billion trillion demons twist in your arm. Do it, do it, do it. You could have every person in the world and all the demons of hell saying, do it, do it, do it. But you have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ within you and you can say, no. That's what these verses are, are saying. In fact, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, we domesticate the verse and use politically correct language. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. It's really saying, kill it. Kill it. Slay it. Slay it. You have all the resurrection power of Christ at your disposal. You can tell sin and temptation. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that there aren't complications. But you can say to the devil and you can say to Satan, you can say to your sin, your temptation, no. That's why James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Because we have the resurrection power of Christ. You can say no. Again, 2 Timothy 1.7. For you've not been given a spirit of of fear, but of what? Of power. Of love. And self-control. This is what the, the Bible says. Is a Christian is not just somebody that is moral. It's not just somebody that is a Jesus freak. It's somebody that God has set his love upon. Somebody that is is humble and is submitting to Jesus as Lord and knows that they're not godly enough to get to heaven, that they walk only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only are they saved that way. But they are saved. And they do have the power as exemplified in their resurrection so that they can say to sin, no, no, I'm tired. I'm tired of that sin. I'm tired of this. No. No. I'm going to kill that sin. I'm going to say no. Be done with it. So think of some temptation and sin you're having a problem with. Say to that sin right now in your mind, by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit of God, by the resurrection power of Christ within me. No. 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 This is why the resurrection of Christ matters, because that the Bible is saying, I'm being very abbreviated, with that resurrection of Jesus, that power that rose him from the dead, read the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, read the whole book, but especially chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, 
that that power is your power so that you can say no to sin. You have to pray and you have to start saying no. No. But but what if but what if and then Jesus died for your sin, ask him to forgive you, and then keep pressing on, but stop that sin? No, you you don't have to. The world even church members might say, uh, no, you don't have to do that sin. You don't have to. You have the resurrection power of Jesus. This is why the resurrection matters. So what have we said? Why does it matter? The resurrection proves that Jesus is truly God. It secures our right standing with God. It's not how, I, how do I perform at the end of my Christian life? Throughout my whole Christian life, I want to glorify him and please him by how I live. But I'm saved by his life, his death, and his resurrection. Third, my, my hope is not that when I'm 80, I'll be in better, in better physical shape than I was when I was 54. That's not my hope. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I wish it would happen. It's not going to happen. My hope is in Jesus Christ with him. And that one day, I'll have a glorified body. And further, the resurrection matters. Finally, what we've seen from God's word is that it's that resurrection power that we have, that by prayer and that by having a close relationship to Christ as close as we can, that we can truly say no to and conquer any temptation and sin. Don't let Satan tell you a lie. Satan would love to say that temptation, that sin, you're stuck with it the rest of your life. We all sin. We're all going to sin. But you don't have to be stuck with a sin's power in your life. That Maybe that, that terrible habit of sin that you have. You can say, no, no, no more. I have the resurrection power of Jesus. God help me. And he will. Why does it matter that Jesus is risen? Because one day we will arise and we will, be, we will be with him forever. But until then, he has given us the power through his resurrection to be able to live powerful lives in this world. That's why it matters. And it's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. God is real. The Bible is real. Jesus is real. He really rose from the dead. And one day, you're going to see him face to face. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we do shout, Hallelujah! Jesus has risen. Lord, we await that day when we can see you face to face, Lord, eye to eye. Lord, we confess we're sinners, we're imperfect, Lord, but we have your righteousness. Not because we're good enough, but because of your love. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful and that we would use the power of your resurrection, all of us, especially me, to say, No! to temptation and sin. We give you glory. We praise you. You've risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Amen.